0: Our scripture this morning is from Second Samuel chapter 22. You will find that text in your worship guide on pages 6 and 7. Here is the words as written in Second Samuel. David spoke the words of this song to the Lord after the Lord delivered him from the power of all his enemies and from Saul. He said, The Lord is my solid rock, my fortress, my rescuer. My God is my rock. I take refuge in him. He's my shield and my salvation strength, my place of safety and my shelter, my Savior. Save me from violence. Because he is praiseworthy, I cried out to the Lord and I was saved from my enemies. Death's waves were all around me. Rivers of wickedness terrified me. The cords of the grave surrounded me. Death's traps held me tight. In my distress I cried out to the Lord, I cried out to my God. God heard my voice from his temple, my cry for help reached his ears. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. God. So this is, dear friends, and I promise, the next to the last week in our series, The Life of David. Thank you for persevering through the last Seven or so weeks of it. I know. It feels like eternity, doesn't it? Right? To hear about David. But we're remembering and recalling the biblical witness that says that David was a person who shared the same heart as God. And so the design of this series, the goal of this series, was to survey his life. The people, the events, things like that that shaped and formed him to have the same heart as God. So that as we go through our journeys, we might be able to see some of those similarities that are shaping our heart. The goal is for every single one of us to reflect the heart of God to the world around us. We've looked at various characteristics over these past several weeks. We've looked at persistence, openness, faith, selfless love, fidelity, forgiveness, redemptive love. These characteristics of the heart of God and how they might permeate our lives. This week we're going to immerse ourselves in the words of David that reflect his search for the heart of God. How he found the source of hope in God. If you think about it, one of the ways which we speak about the world around us, our circumstances today, one of the ways that we do that is as we do it through music. We use music to tell stories. There's so many genres of that uh, we listen to, younger generations today find it more accessible. Frequently listen to music. And the words and the pictures that are painted are evocative. They are imaginative. Sometimes they're explicit and illicit. But it, it forms and it shapes, in many ways, a view of the world. It paints a picture of what is going on in the world. And often these songs express yearning. They talk about the void that is within us. I mean, you think about country music, it wouldn't exist if it wasn't for human yearning and void within us, right? In country music, you lose everything all the time. One of my favorite artists is not a country music artist. He's a pop artist by the name of Billy Joel. You probably recognize that per name. He's a famous piano player. He is well known for that, and his songs that he writes. He's in my iTunes library. In 1989, Billy Joel turned 40 years of age, and he tells a story about being in a recording studio early on in 1989. While he was in the recording studio working on some music, a a friend of his by the name of Sean Lennon came into the studio. Now, Lennon had just turned 21 years of age in 1989, and as he entered the studio, he looked at Billy Joel and he said, You know, it's a terrible time to be 21 years old in 1989. Joel looked at him and said, yeah, I remember when I was 21. It was an awful time then as well. When I was 21, the Vietnam War was going on. We had a huge drug problem in our society. Civil rights was still tenuous and being fought for. Everything at that time seemed just as awful as it might to you today. Lennon looked at him and said, yeah, yeah, but it was different for you. You were a kid in the 50s, and everybody knows that nothing happened in the 50s. (laughs) To which Joel looked at him and said, now wait a minute, haven't you ever heard of things like the Korean War or the Suez Canal crisis? There was a lot that happened in the 50s. That conversation between Billy Joel and Lennon became the spark for a song that he penned that year and recorded. It actually ascended to be number one on the billboard charts and was nominated for the Grammy Award for Record of the Year. The title of the song was, We Didn't Start the Fire. Right. Now, what Billy Joel did in this is he wrote down 100 names, places, and events that covered the 40 years that he had been on the earth, He started in 1949 and each year wrote down some things about each one of these years to span the 40 years, 49 to 89. Listen to this list because I'm confident that many of you will recall some of these things that he noted as well. He starts out, Harry Truman, Doris Day, Red China, Johnny Ray, South Pacific, Walter Winchell, Joe DiMaggio. Joe McCarthy, Richard Nixon, Studebaker, Television, North Korea, South Korea, Marilyn Monroe. You catching the rhyme yet? Right? Remembering it? All right. Rosenbergs, H-Bomb, Sugar Ray, John. Brando, The King and I, and The Catcher in the rhyme. Rye. Good, you guys can at least rhyme. Eisenhower, Back Scene, England's Got a New Queen, Marciano, Liberace, Satayana, Goodbye. Joseph Stalin, Malenkov, Nasser and Prokofiev, Rockefeller, Campanella, Communist Block. Roy Cohn, Saint Juan Perón, Tascanini, Dacron, Den Ben Fu, Falls, Rock Around the Clock. Einstein, James Dean, Brooklyn's Got a Winning Team, Davy Crockett, Peter Pan, Elvis Presley, Disneyland. Bardo, Budapest, Alabama, Khrushchev, Princess Grace, Peyton Place, Trouble in the Suez. Rock and Roll, Pasternak, Mecky Mantle, Kariak, Sputnik, and Lai, Bridge on the River Kwai. Lebanon, Charles de Gaulle, California Baseball. Stark Weather, Homicide, Children of Thalidomide. Buddy Holly, Ben Hurts, Space Monkey Mafia, Hula Hoops, Castro, Edsel is a no-go. U2, Sigmund Ray, Paola, Kennedy, Chubby Checker, Psycho, Belgians in the Congo. Hemingway, Eichmann, Stranger in a Strange Land, Dillon, Berlin, Bay of Pigs Invasion, Lawrence of Arabia, British Beatlemania, Old Miss, John Glenn, Liston Beats, Patterson, Old Miss, John Glenn, I uh, just read that line, how about we move on, Pope Paul, Malcolm X, British politician, sex, JFK, blown away, what else do I have to say, He comes back with a few more things. Birth control, Ho Chi Minh, Richard Nixon back again, Woodstock, Moonshot, Woodstock, Watergate, Punk Rock, Begin Reagan, Palestine, Terror on the Airline, Ayatollahs in Iran, Russians in Afghanistan, Wheel of Fortune, Sally Ride, Heavy Metal, Suicide, Foreign Debts, Homeless Vets, AIDS, Crack, Bernie Gets, Hypodermics on the shore, China's under martial law. Rock and Roller Cola Wars. How many of you remember in 1989 the battle between Pepsi and Coca-Cola and the rock stars that they used to promote their products? And he finishes with, I can't take it anymore. He also noted that that was the worst ever song to try to perform live. (laughs) Because if you messed one thing up, you were never going to recover, as you well just saw on display, right? But what's important is, if you remember the chorus, the chorus contains these lines, these words. We didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world's been turning. We didn't start the fire. No, we didn't light it, but we tried to fight it most of you remember many of those things that were just mentioned they're they're part of your history as well you can remember some of those things transpiring the personalities the events all of those kinds of things some of you might not have a clue because 1989 you were you were barely toddling around others of you this isn't part of your history at all because you weren't on the planet yet right amen but you remember things that you could add to this list there are many things that we could add to this list. Names, places, events that would go along with the idea of the world being on fire. Right? Just think about the recent election. Have we gotten past it yet? Right? No. I mean, you think about the national discourse and how it has descended into incendiary words. People won't even bring the topic up in polite conversation today because you have fear that you're going to get ignited by your friend, right? They're going to set you on fire because you disagree with politics. That's what we have descended to in our discourse. We can't have civil debate, so we avoid so that we don't have the violence it. And I think about the results of this. We, the people, are no longer experiencing a more perfect union. Rather, I think all of us are pretty well sick and tired of the whole thing and hope it would all just kind of go away. But really, if you think about it, most all of us are losing faith and hope in our current exercise of government and the way in which we, as people... Try to perform and and form a more perfect union. But but my question for you this morning is, does, does these things mean that all hope for the world is gone? Is beauty, creativity, ingenuity, love, peace, and hope things of the past? Or are they still present in the world today? Is there anything that inspires you to hope, inspires us to hope for the future and what is yet to come? We know that scholars and commentators over the centuries have reviewed David's prose and his poetry. They have done a a marvelous job of defining for us and dissecting it, categorizing it, so that we know what each one of these categories are and how they define David's view of the world, what he's trying to share and inform us in. To think of the five main types of the Psalms as they are categorized, right? Praise Psalms. Some of them are royal in their nature. Others of them are about thanksgiving. Some of them portray wisdom, while others of them are lament psalms. 2 Samuel 22 is actually a duplicate of psalm number 18. They are both the same, and they are a psalm of thanksgiving. But not simply for what God has done. If you read the full psalm, David also cast an eye for the future, And what God has promised to do for him, his family, and for Israel. What God will accomplish in the days yet to come. And his hope in those things. Because David is a person that is struggling with chaos. The chaos of his life. You think about the world in which he lived even as king. It was a world... That was fraught with wars with the surrounding communities and countries and people constantly at war. In his own kingdom, he found himself in this in-and-out love affair with the people. His royal court, he had advisors that at one time were strong friends, which are now his adversaries. And then in his own family, the chaos that happens in murder and rape and premature death and premature seeking of power... David has chaos all around him. His world is on fire. And yet he writes about something different. It's not always a complaint for David. He seeks something from God in his writing, a vision of what is yet to come that is a fulfillment of God's promises Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann says that chaos is a theme in the Hebrew Bible, but it's not just isolated as a theme to days of old. For many of us, chaos is a besetting issue in our common experience. There is chaos in our lives, in our worlds. It can be intimate, it can be corporate in nature. And when we think about it, we put a lot of time and attention into the chaos that is around us as we battle many things, whether it be power and injustice or politics or the threat of climate change or nuclear war. We're constantly in chaos around these things. They invade our reality. They captivate our attention, our thoughts, our words, and our deeds, this chaos. Now according to Brueggemann and many others, what we humans do as our natural response is is we try everything within our own human capacity and capability to resolve the chaos that is in our world. We put faith in our own abilities. We place hope in our own capabilities, in our ability to navigate and get out of chaos on our own. Where does that leave God You see, the heart of God is characterized by many things, as we've seen over the past several weeks. I would add to that a naming of the vision of a different day and a different world ahead of us. God's heart is set upon a vision of restoration and goodness, and this should be a vision of hope for those of us who are followers of God. David knew this in his life. In measure, David experienced it. David had hope in what God would continue to do, as I said, for his family, for Israel, and for the world yet to come. David was a man who shared God's heart because David believed and lived in this vision of hope. He professed in word and deed that God is the power behind all of creation. That God is the power behind our ability to navigate our chaos. That God is the power that we should speak about in the world around us that can affect transformation and change. That God is the empowerment in each one of us to be a part of that. David believed. David sought after these. He represented hope in God's vision to transform the world. We speak about transformation in so many ways, that vision of it. One of the subcultures of Christian tradition that we are not enmeshed in but we might be familiar with is that of African American spirituals. It talks about a vision of a different day. They were in our songs that speak of a reality that cast a vision of hope of what God will do for God's people. In the 1960s, one of the spirituals that emerged was a morphing of a well-known hymn, Joshua Fought the Battle of Jericho. You guys know that hymn, Joshua Fought the Battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. right? right. So the tune was reimagined and fresh words were put to it at this time. The title of the tune was Marching Round Selma, and here's its words. Marching round Selma like Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Marching round Selma like Jericho. For segregation wall must fall. Look at people answering to the freedom fighters call. Black, brown, and white Americans say segregation must fall. Good evening, freedom fighters. Tell me where you're bound. Tell me where you're marching from Selma to Montgomery Town. Even in the Negro spiritual, there is the idea, the understanding of a new vision, a different day. It casts hope. But hope isn't simply a belief in things not yet seen. It is a belief in things that are yet to come as well. Hope isn't just a concept simply relegated to the Psalms or a song. Hope isn't something external and out there, Hope should have a real, tangible presence that impacts the life of the church, impacts each one of your lives. I would tell you that hope isn't simply expressed by attending church. Hope is made real in the world by us being the church, the body of Christ, active in the world around us, bringing change, bringing hope to the world. Most of you probably heard the story earlier this week about a family that was vacationing in Panama City, Florida. There were two boys, 8 and 11, that were on bodyboards. They had gotten out into the surf, but a riptide carried them far away from the shoreline. They started screaming for help, and their parents, their mother and grandmother, went to look for these boys and couldn't see them near the shore but heard them out in the water heard their cries for help, so they got in the water and tried to get out to reach them to save them, but they got caught up in the rip current as well. Some beachgoers saw what was going on, saw the struggle that was happening for the adults to reach the kids, and so they started organizing. And if you remember the story, by the time it was all said and done, 80-some-odd beachgoers had linked arm-in-arm out into the surf all the way out to where these kids were and their family and got them all back to the shore safely. It said it took them almost an hour to fight the rip current and the tide to get everybody in to shore. It left everyone exhausted. Imagine with me, friends, the panic, the chaos the loss of hope of that family in that moment of desperation until a whole bunch of people they didn't know got actively involved. And how that changed through their response to the situation. How hope returned. How salvation was realized. See, I believe the key is for each and every one of us to be centered in the power and the life-giving presence of God, to find ourselves sharing in the heart of God, which is among many things a heart that is of hope. We know, we affirm, we believe in the vision that God has for creation. We proclaim the words of a new heaven and a new earth. We affirm, we know, we believe in the vision of equality and justice for all persons. We know, we affirm, we believe in the vision of responsibility for creation and for one another. But I want to ask you, how much time and effort do we put into these visions? How much time and effort do we put? into responding with hope to a chaotic, on-fire world. Here's what I hope you remember from today in our conversation. To be reminded that chaos seems to be winning in the world, even in a time when we are technologically advanced, where human ingenuity seems to be at its highest, the world still seems to be on fire. David reminds us, David has the same heart as God because David has a hope in God's power to overcome this chaos. David has a vision of what God promises to do and will do. And that we are invited ourselves to immerse into the power of God so that we might profess and act in hope of making this become our reality in our world. So here's your invitation for today. So how much are you relying on your own capacity to address chaos in your life? Have we in some ways cut God out of the picture? When maybe now is an opportunity to incorporate God back into the picture, to be reminded that God is the power behind all things, that God is the only one who can fully address the chaos that's in our small little world and in the world around us, to take active steps of hope, To seek God in this moment? Or to ask yourself this question. How much attention have you been giving to the chaos in the world around you? To the lives that you have power and influence in? To be reminded that God does not turn a blind eye to our circumstances. We can't turn a blind eye to the world. People who have the heart of God see and respond to the chaos around them. And God invites us to be that people today to follow the pattern of Jesus Christ as we respond to those in need, the lost, the least, the ignored, the oppressed. Would you join me in a moment of prayer? So, O merciful God, in this moment, we entreat upon you as we have heard from you today in the proclamation of the reading of your words from Second Samuel and what you laid upon David's heart and how he shared his understanding of you. Not only how it formed and shaped him, but the casting of vision of hope of what you have promised for him, for his family, for Israel and the world. For us to understand, O oh Lord, that that's not a dead promise that is still alive and well today. It's a promise for us, the community of faith, the disciples of Christ, that you are one who still navigates the chaos around us and will overcome it, that you have given us a vision of hope of a world yet to come and how we are called to participate in seeing that vision come to fruition. Form and shape our hearts, O Lord, today, that we might be people who not only speak of this, but who enact it in our worlds. Use us as your instruments to proclaim your vision of hope for all people. We ask this in Christ. Amen.